Untitled Beatles podcast. Hola, TJ. Hola, Casey. ¿Cómo estás? Great, TJ. Thanks for asking, but I'm not on the show. I'm behind the scenes. No, I'm Tony, man. Casey's the producer. Right. I started off great. Wait a minute. In fairness, who are you? (laughs) Just excuse me to show up my who chop. Who chops? You chops. <laughs> That's one of my favorite, <laughs> favorite piano moments in uh, any song. Uh, that, yeah. Who are you, Bridge? And that's Townsend playing that. That's right. Yeah, man. Well, welcome to the Untitled Who podcast. I mean, Beatles podcast. <laughs> Let's be, come on. Tony, uh, did you steal my money? <laughs> cache, cache. There's a cash, cash. I don't know, man. I don't know. We are the Untitled Beatles podcast, and uh, we're excited about today's episode. We really are. We really are. It's uh, McCartney 321. It just dropped, uh, what, four days ago at this taping. So fresh ears, fresh eyes, first impressions. We'll get to all that later. But uh, real quick, if you like our show, feel free to rate it and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you haven't already, subscribe in the podcast player and to ensure that you get new shows every Saturday morning at 4 a.m. For a great low rate, you can save online and share with us and save some fucking time. What is that? What's that for? Shacks in those. I don't know what it's for. Insure one or for a great low rate, you can save some time. Go online and get the fucking line. Get your anonymous online quote with low payments and ride with the general. Hey, Shaq, how about some help up here? Nope, I'm retired. For a great low rate you can get online, go to the general and save some time. Two F words, <laughs> 35 seconds in. <laughs> My parents would be proud of me if they wasn't deadsville. Uh tell a friend. <laughs> Back to the script. In case it wasn't clear, I actually gave the guys a couple scripted bullet points to go over at the top of the show. And as you can tell, it's going great. No, for real. Like, let's be cool about something. Listeners, you know me and Tony. We don't, you know, we don't, we like to be honest with you. We like to be straight with you. And that's why Trump's coming back in August. (laughs) That sound, cocaine. If you want to get down. Um, <laughs> you know, Tony and I do, we have day jobs and, uh, True. like a lot of you were kind of hustling and working our asses off. Yeah, we do the show for free. We're not asking for your money. Did you steal no. my money? But go to Apple podcasts. If you like us and review us, please. And leave a nice comment. We get so many nice comments on Facebook. So many, we've gotten a few nice emails. We delete certain Facebook comments that are vaguely mean. Uh, but we we like <laughs> love and appreciate the support. This started off as like a Beatle catharsis for us during the pandemic. Yeah. Your support is super great. You can help us out by leaving us a review. And, uh, you know, if, if you hate us. Take our podcast to your local racist Birmingham, Alabama DJs <laughs> for an Untitled Beatles podcast burning session. Yeah, you can stomp on us too. We 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 like that. Stomp out the Untitled Beatles podcast. We got we're gonna have sweatshirts made <laughs> in our online store. We totally should. Yeah, yeah. 
And uh, yeah, tell us what you think. Uh, feel free to tell us what we got wrong. Sometimes we get things wrong. I wanted to just uh, give a quick shout out to some some great listeners. Ted from Joliet. I think that's how you pronounce it, right, TJ? Joliet. Well, I've seen the Blues Brothers, so I think you're right. <laughs> Oh, Joliet. By the way, you can get a ticket in Joliet if you call it Joliet or some other something other than Joliet. So mind your P's and Q's or your J's and your O's, really. Yeah, mind your that, that's a great Jules Holland reference. <laughs> can't spell Jules without J-O and you can't spell J-Lo without J-Lo. I'm full of facts today. You're a real J-O, TJ. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. I'm just also, I'm not going to pull a tube and do it during our podcast. <laughs> I'm not going to J-O during the UBP. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you know me. Uh, <laughs> Topical OPP from Tony. <laughs> Also, yeah, thanks to Max in Montreal, who sent us a lovely note, as well as Mark in Northern Ireland for the uh, another hot tip on a prospective future topic. Feel free to send those in, too. We're always looking for Beatles stuff to talk about. You know what this is? I do. It's McCartney. Not a piano song. I'm just trying to play. Give Ireland back to, to the, the Irish. Irish. Don't let them have to take it away. Want to hear you play till the lights. Hey, we just did a McCartney mashup. First time listeners are like, who are these guys? <laughs> we do. We appreciate your letters and we appreciate you tolerating all our local Chicago references. Now, as you know, sometimes we do get things wrong. We're not Beatles scholars. We're more like Beatles class clowns. So this leads us to our brand new most likely reoccurring segment, something we call Untitled Beatles, Mia Culpa. Oh, Mia Culpa, that's a spicy a Beatle fact of fuck up. <laughs> Mia Culpa. I, I had a I had a parody plan that I bailed on because I, I didn't really flesh it out. Let's hear it. Mia Culpa. We fucked up again. Uh-oh, we got a Beatles fact wrong. <laughs> I didn't I don't really know the ABBA songs. So I chose just not to do it. <laughs> well, our Swedish friends will appreciate that, TJ. We did get something wrong. Uh, we've told this tale like maybe one and a half times. It's the famous Phil Collins Bongos tale which we attributed to Paul McCartney, but really it was George Harrison who played the prank on Phil Collins with a bongo overdub on All Things Must Pass. I don't know why you're saying we because you're a supportive improviser and friend. I told the story wrong twice. I'm 0 for 2 with that. I think I confused it with Phil Collins being mad that Paul McCartney like belittled him at some point. There's some like, Phil Collins slight. Phil Collins got an easy loving bitch. <laughs> yeah, the story is he wanted Paul to autograph. I want to say it was the Hunter Davies book or some. Uh, I heard it was a book, but I've also heard it was like vinyl records or something. But Phil wanted Paul to sign his Beatles stuff. And Paul was like, oh, looky here. We've we've got little Phil's a Beatles fan or something. And I don't right. think he enjoyed the little Phil reference or something like that. Sorry, when you do like a super white cover of You Can't Hurry Love, you deserve all the disdain. <laughs> but he also did the drums on In the Air Tonight. And that, those are indeed big fills, shall we? 
don't think that's Bernard Prudy. <laughs> I keep saying his name wrong. <laughs> Purdy. Purdy, Prudy. It's, you know, we get everything wrong. Mia culpa. What have you? We got it oh, wrong. Oh, that's a spicy uh, beetle uh, unrelated a fuck up. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Let's do it. Let's get into it. McCartney 321. This just aired on Hulu. Basically, it's Paul McCartney and Rick Rubin. Who, at first, I thought that was Kurt Claudio. Remember him? The guy who <laughs> stalked out John Lennon and then had yes. breakfast with him. <laughs> and then I had this guy called Claudio saying, I'm coming, I'm coming. And I only have to look in your eyes and then I'll know. So last week, he turned up at the house, you know. Yeah, I figured that we met. I'd know, you know, just by reading. But know what? You know, if what I was thinking was true. Well, what were you, is it true? Well, I guess not. Right, I'm just a guy, man. I thought it was a lost ZZ Top. <laughs> yeah, ZZ Lost wandered in. Now, I love Rick Rubin. He also, Rick Rubin also uh, looks like uh, the laser wolf, the butcher in a community theater production <laughs> of Fiddler on the Roof, which can often be very emotionally well done. Shout out to the good community theater production of Fiddler. Um, but yeah, I love Rick Rubin, too. I mean, you forget how much he's either produced or been involved with. It's true. In fact, TJ, the first LP I ever bought was mixed by Rick Rubin. It was a Run DMC's King of Rock, 1985, Profile Records. He mixed it right when he was starting out and he started Def Jam with uh, Russell Simmons. That became Deaf American. I mean, he was in the Fight for Your Right to Party video. He gets a pie in the face. He's the guy in the leather jacket. Kick it! Kick it! I love that album. <laughs> he also plays a villain in the Run DMC vehicle, Tougher Than Leather. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. <laughs> I've never seen Tougher Than Leather. <laughs> he gets murdered. I, I'm sorry, oh. spoilers. I, I know I give the spoilers away, but Rick Rubin gets shot by, I think it's DMC shoots him. Daryl hey, McDaniels. sweetie. Yeah, honey, knock off Tougher Than Leather from our Netflix list. I know the <laughs> ending now. I ain't walking out of here. You leaving a motherfucking casket. Never thought I'd die on account of it. But he also produced the first four Danzig records, so that's, you know heartbeat for me he also produced slayer and then johnny cash when he the comeback yeah 1994 those stripped down recordings he started that whole thing of like hey man let's get rid of the nashville sound let's just, what is this about this is about you with a guitar and that voice let's hear it delia oh delia Deal you all my life If I hadn't shot Podelia I'd have had her for my wife Another Beatle connection, a loose Beatle connection is he produced some Tom Petty uh, yeah. the, the Wildflowers heir, of course yeah. one of the legendary Wilburys and what's interesting when this was announced is that it's somebody who, at least to my knowledge had never worked with Paul McCartney before this documentary it's not like a sit down with a producer he like mitchell Froome or a producer he'd worked with before right right yeah which i like it's just interesting i liked it too i mean it created an interesting dynamic you know they didn't get too deep really you know it does stay on the surface and it's definitely you know this is definitely i loved it but wouldn't you say that this is more of a 
a commercial, I, I would think, for Paul. You know what I mean? I'm going to be honest with you and all our listeners about something here. Um, I didn't watch it. Uh, <laughs> I felt pretty personally victimized that this wasn't in movie theaters. And I spent a lot of time posting online my anger that I couldn't see this in a theater. Stream it? So, I, no, I, I didn't watch it. I canceled the Beatles. I'm all Mike Lovera Beach Boys right now. That's all I care about. Tinfoil um, TJ. <laughs> like, stream, I just stream this incredible. This is one of the single greatest things I've ever seen relating to the Beatles. I loved every minute of it. I also agree with you, Tony. I think two things can be true while assessing this documentary. The first thing you see at the end of this is in the credits in all six episodes is executive producer Paul McCartney. That's before Rick Rubin. That's before the other 19 executive producers. Right. So MPL Productions. Yes. And the beautiful MPL logo at the very end of, of the film. Which I'm going to call a film because even though it's six episodes, if you put it all together and I watched, I binged all six episodes twice, as I think you did, too. Uh, the Beatles anthology was also produced by Apple. And with all fairness to that anthology, that also feels like a commercial for the Beatles, too. A lot of the drugs scrubbed out of it. It was mm -hmm. almost like an early Peter Jackson. Like, this is all <laughs> mostly, mostly cheery. So I don't begrudge this film that's executive produced by Paul McCartney for being a Paul McCartney commercial. There are moments that are revelatory. The entire thing is beautiful to watch. It The sound is mixed beautifully. I give it an A+, plus while also agreeing with you, yes, this is not the deepest you're ever going to get. But it's the closest we may ever get to hearing Paul break down his songs, a la John in the uh, David Sheff interviews before he was killed. Yeah. Yeah. Stay safe, Paul. Stay safe. Yeah. <laughs> Please. I agree. I loved it. I loved it. I also binged it. Actually, let's see. I watched the first episode Friday morning. I had to work. So I watched like at 6 a.m. I watched the first one with a cup of coffee, then went 6 a.m. I watched that's for Casey. That's a little Ben Folds. <laughs> you said it, so I had to kind of give it. Love that guy. Six in the morning. Six in the morning. So what you want to do? So I watched the first one before work, and then uh, Saturday morning I, I watched two through six, binged them, and then I, I watched them again because I'm a fan. Yeah, so it's, it's six 30-minute episodes, executive produced by Jeff Pollock, who was kind of a music supervisor, and directed by a cat named Zachary Heinzerling. I call them people cats. It's my jazz thing. It's the Paul Schaefer in you. Yeah, it is. Um, all shot black and white, right? Kind of like Roy Orbison's Black and White Night. That's what it put me in the mind of, if you remember that one. Yeah. And I think they did black and white because for the 25th anniversary, they'll do a deluxe reissue in color for $1,500. <laughs> but it'll be colorized like they did to the DC <laughs> like, footage. Like, like, like Ted Turner was doing in the night in the yeah. 80s or 90s. Remember? Yeah. Everything's really saturated and everyone's hairs are really Auburn. <laughs> Gone with the winds, not offensive enough in black and white. I'm Ted Turner and welcome to Ted Turner's colorized classics. Now, the colorization of these films may not agree with some people's artistic sensibilities. <laughs> but they're mine, and I can do anything I want with them. Nah, 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 nah. From what I understand, they had two days of shooting. It was like at a, a hastily assembled soundstage near the Hamptons, which I guess McCartney has a home there. And they shot this in August of 2020, and there was 15 hours of footage. So they, they got it down to three. Be curious to see what the other 12 hours is. You know there'll be a bonus footage of this at some point. 
And a couple more fun facts about this movie, Tony. It's produced by, and I did no research on this film company, but Tetragrammaton Productions. Mm. Do you know that that's the record label that had the John and Yoko naked cover on it? Oh, when really? When Capital passed on it? Tetragrammaton was a record company. And when Capital or EMI in the States refused to release Two Virgins, um, yeah, Two Virgins is the one with their nude, right? Yeah. Did I make that yep. up? Yes. Nope, nope. Mm-hmm. Um, the one with uh, John's dog. Well, I'm not, no, every episode said the ding dong, ding dong. I'm not going to set it up again. But now it applies because John's dong's swinging on that record. So you mentioned it being shot in black and white. The juxtaposition with the often full color photos yeah. is such a striking choice. It, it kept things so interesting and beautiful to look at. Like I said, A plus for the storytelling, for the order of this. The only thing I quibble with, which we'll get to as we go through the episodes, when a man has that many songs to his credit, there's a few that you go, why didn't you do this? And a few mm. that I went, why are you spending four minutes on this <laughs> guy? Yeah, that sounds like the, a lot of these were Rick Rubin's choices. Yeah. And if you haven't seen it yet, I guess I we should recommend you do watch it because we're going to give away a bunch of stuff. Spoilers ahoy. But yeah, Rick Rubin is dressed in kind of a tattered T-shirt and shorts. And he's mostly barefoot. Uh, hashtag wiki feet. Uh, wiki feet Rick Rubin <laughs> <laughs> hashtag no thank you <laughs> and then to his credit Paul's clothes are also a bit tattered too so you know I guess they're I don't know if they're going for this kind of like uh, I don't know what stripped down Rick Rubin kind of thing in this warehouse looking uh, location and you can see the camera you know you see the crew in a lot of the shots uh, they obviously have some dolly track Looks like four or five, maybe six cameras. I can't tell. Two on dollies and the others are handheld. Uh, yeah, you see people wandering around, probably going to craft service to get some yogurt covered raisins or whatever. And, and then there's some projections that happen, too, through the whole thing. I like the look of it. Yeah. And they're mostly at a soundboard. Uh, it looked like a 24 track soundboard. I couldn't figure out what kind of soundboard that is for all you geeks out there. I, Magic Alex installed it, and actually there's a Bluetooth speaker inside the toilet of the next room. It's just Bluetooth. He said it was yeah. a Magic Alex creation. but And that's how they got the drum sound and when the levee breaks. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Which was also done by Bernard Purdy. And then there's times where Paul's playing at uh, Yamaha upright piano a Rhodes electric piano, and then uh, they're in a different room and he's got an acoustic guitar. And you get a glimpse of him playing the Hofner bass. Yeah, it's pretty special. There's a ton of special moments in this thing that even if, let's say you you think the song selection is weak. Let's say you, you don't think they get deep enough. There's still enough moments in here to satiate and make happy any real Beatles fan. Because, I mean, you know, my wife is a, a pretty casual Beatles fan. Being married to me, she knows a lot, but right. she loves the Beatles. But certainly she's not like a rabid fan. She was upset that I watched the second four episodes without her. She's like, we got to watch this this again because oh, wow. scheduling-wise, I, I couldn't watch them all with her. Uh, we got a kid. Yeah, you know, I, you feed yourself. Hulu just dropped McCartney 3, 2, 1, I mean, that's how, that's how we were raised. <laughs> it is how we were raised, Throw you too. a key and get it. Figure out how to make mac and cheese or eat a <laughs> eat an uncooked hot dog or you know what I mean, a cold hot dog <laughs> or make a Dorito sandwich. 
<laughs> with an uncooked hot dog. I love, and this is actually, it's like it, it's a kosher tradition of two Doritos and an uncooked hot dog. <laughs> and you smash it in one hand and let it just drip in your face. Hashtag drip in your face. Uh, why is Paul chewing gum this whole time? I didn't notice that. that. Is that right? I did. He's chewing an inordinate amount of gum during this. Well, maybe he's got halitosis, you know? That's why things didn't work with Heather Mills. <laughs> Right. I think that's why. Yeah, she's choosy about breath. So, TJ, overall, man, what did you think? You know, I think that with the possible exception of Living in the Material World, the Scorsese-George Harrison documentary, that almost... I feel like is forgotten, not forgotten about, certainly it's only what about a decade old, but maybe just the age I'm at, if that had come out when I was in my 20s, I would have seen it a hundred times. Yeah. I probably only saw it three or four times, but uh, that's so good and with so many good people talking in it. But given McCartney's role in this, it's the second most important Beatles documentary after anthology. Is that right? To me, it is because where else do you have a Beatle? I mean, Think about the contrast between this and the Threedles, and not just, I'll get to this specifically later, the boredom during thinking of Lincoln <laughs> in, in the Threedles. But when uh, when they're at the mixing board with George Martin playing through songs, and George seems particularly disinterested. So there is a little of the surviving Beatles on film and in the anthology extras going over their songs, but... In the John David Sheff interviews, there's no video of John Lennon listening to all the songs. It's David Sheff, I think, looking at album covers, giving John song titles. Yeah. This is somebody, uh, uh, one of the more important record producers of the last 50 years, sitting down with Paul, asking about songs from a musical perspective. And that alone makes this just indispensable to me. This is... It is phenomenal, and even though it's three hours, I wish it was triple the length. I could watch this forever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, the best moments are definitely them at the console, the mixing board, just digging into the tracks like that to me is is where it's at. That's the most fun. And especially from McCartney's point of view, I like that um, Kirk Claudia, I mean, uh, Rick Rubin gets in there. <laughs> Remember that one? Um, you can radiate everything you are. You can penetrate anywhere you go. Yeah. Syndicated. Yeah. That was just having fun with words. He gets in there with some insight here and there. Um, but for the most part, it's cool to see Paul, you know, lip syncing to his own music, but like with enjoyment, you know, he's not bothered with it. And he's not like, OK, we got to talk about the Beatles, this band. This band was now 60 years ago or whatever it's been nearly. Yeah, it's been that long, at least since, you know, they existed is what I'm trying to say. I found it curious that the most recent material we hear is from 1980. Right. Yes. And I think there's a total of four solo songs. Yeah. Yeah. So it's real Beatles heavy, solo light. And then it, yeah, it ends with McCartney too. your favorite <laughs> McCartney record. I mean, I just, it, it'd make for a great bootleg or bonus track. And one of the songs used, I don't even think is from the album. I think check my machine was, was a B-side. B- was a B-side. Yeah. It wasn't on the tacked on until the CDs came out on Capitol. Yeah, that's one of my favorite moments, though. I love it. I love I, it. I, I, okay, <laughs> we're going to jump ahead for a sec. Because I, I, I love it, too. But equally, I'm like, what's the point? You've got Paul McCartney analyzing his songs. Would you rather hear him talk about Take It Away? Would you rather hear him talk about 
um, silly love songs, or would you rather him talk about Check My Machine? Like, if it, there's so many solo stuff, I'd much rather hear him spend time on. All right, well, we'll pick that up. We'll pick yeah. that one up later. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna check my machine exploration defender. <laughs> All right, and, and most of me agrees with you, but I'm still like, I think my note is cool. Why? <laughs> I mean, I get it, I get it, but I love it. Just to kind of put a button on this before we get into the first episode, Tony. Um, another bit of trivia is there's been a lot of talk over the years, and certainly if you read the You Never Give Me Your Money book, this is detailed, where Paul tried to uh, change Lennon-McCartney to McCartney-Lennon for stuff like Yesterday and some of his his songs. In the credits for this, everything's billed as Lennon-McCartney. Yeah. And this is one where Paul's the number one executive producer. There's some symbolism here. I wonder if this kind of puts the kibosh on Paul's, you know, sometimes stated effort to make his songs McCartney-Lennon. I found that interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if it just didn't take, you know, like when people try and like, (laughs) yeah, like when... Costanza tried to call himself T-Bone or whatever, and like, no (laughs) one's gonna call you T-Bone, man. Hey, (laughs) T-Bone! No, no T-Bone. No T-Bone? Hey, it's not (laughs) T-Bone! No, there's no T-Bone! Why no T-Bone? Because Neil Watkins from accounting is T-Bone. You've been on a Seinfeld kick the last three, four weeks, and I'm I'm in for it. I'm but here. you can't watch him anymore. Now I have to all go by memory. Not that I was ever sitting there watching him, but whatever, man. I guess I'm stuck in the 90s. I'm an oldster. Turns out, TJ, you know what, man? I guess we're oldsters. That's why we, we record this on mini disc and smoke <laughs> bad synthetic pot. No, synthetic pot's a now thing. I, in, yeah. in the 90s, pot was okay. You remember when pot was pot? <laughs> See? This, yeah, we're oldsters. Pot, pot, we're going to smoke pot. Take a bite, puff, and do what you're not. Good job, Neil Diamond. <laughs> Neil Diamond. Velvet Gloves and Spit, 1967. Good record. Stream it. La, 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 pot, pot, give us some pot. Forget what you are, you can be what you're not. Shall we get into the episodes? Sure. All right. Episode one. These things you bring together. Yeah. So all the episodes seem to be titled by uh, quotes from within the episode. Kind of like the Pixies used to title their albums by some kind of random lyric from the uh, one of the songs inside. I didn't know that. Yeah. With the exception of Trump Lamont. I don't think he ever says Trump Lamont, but there's a song called Trump Lamont. Anyway. <laughs> Well, it starts off with those here, there and everywhere isolated harmonies, which to me sets the tone of like, all right, we're going to dig into these tracks and dissect them and deconstruct them at times. I mean, I'm already sold. I'm on board for that. That to me is almost the purpose of this whole thing, right? You up for listening to a bit of music? Yeah, and as you learn later, and anyone who's heard a McCartney interview knows this already, that's probably his favorite song that he ever wrote. So there's extra symbolism to opening with those harmonies, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe they talk about it in the final episode, which we'll we'll get to that. I think there's a historical inaccuracy in that tale, but we'll get to that. The final episode's the most laden with oops moments. I got a few. All right, we'll get to those. We'll get oh, to I'm those. excited. All right, <laughs> screw episodes one through five. Let's get right to six. All right, we start off early. We start off during the Beatlemania craze. All My Lovin', we get to hear that one dissected. All my lovin', I will send to you. 
Street. Yeah. So this is John's rhythm thing. Tick it, tick Unusual choice. You try doing that for three minutes. Yeah. It makes you wonder if this thing will be chronological. It's not, but this is the no. right choice to open it. The exuberance of this incredible early Paul song. The significance of it opening their American uh, eyes on Ed, Ed Sullivan. Yeah, this would be the first song they would have played on American soil, right? At least televised. We don't know what they played at rehearsals. Yeah, that's right. I think in rehearsals they were working on Junk and Teddy Boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Um, he had those. I, he had those laying around then. It's, it's, it's like his. I'll follow the sun. He had he had Teddy Boy going <laughs> since '56 or whatever. Um, the talk about John's rhythm guitar driving the song and freeing up George to kind of do those kind of country licks is such a neat moment. The energy. I've always loved the energy of the song, whether or not it has the hi hat intro, uh, Tony. Um, and there's an early great Paul quote where he says, "We were writing songs that were memorable." Not because we wanted them to be memorable, yeah, but because we had we to, remember, had to them. remember them. Is a great early quote, right? Because he's an oldster and he didn't have a whatever a phone that you could just record it on. I totally relate to that. So when I started writing songs, I was a bicycle messenger, and I didn't have this is before I had a cell phone and all that. So I would sometimes get a melody stuck in my head on my bike all day, which was great. But I would then just keep repeating that melody till I got home and I could figure it out on a piano and whatever. I never wrote all my loving, but I, I <laughs> but Not I wrote yet, it. Tony, <laughs> but I did write a song and, and, and had to do it that way. And you had to come up with something catchy and earworm so that you could remember it. It's great. As someone that creates, and a lot of us that listen to this, us blabber on probably create or at least appreciate the creative process. And it's cool to hear it from one of the masters. But blabber on it, another great Zeppelin reference. <laughs> this is notable also, too, for Paul doing the arthritis exercises. That was a real oh, yeah. revealing moment where he talked about his father who had to stop playing piano you know, he was the life of the party. That's a story we've heard many times before. Right. But I didn't realize he had to stop playing because of his arthritis. And you see Paul doing those exercises. That's a very serious moment. Yeah. I mean, Paul's not in that kind of shape by accident. Right. Yeah. You've got to stay in shape. That's one of those things. As much as you might begrudge it, <laughs> like art, there is something about doing art that you have to keep doing it or you, you fall out of practice, you know? Yeah, and it is a physical thing, like guitar, bass. Like I don't know if you've ever played bass for a while, but it's it's actually quite tiring. It's more tiring than playing guitar. And I don't know about drums because whatever, because I play drums and I, I would get tired for sure. But when I started playing bass for a while, I felt like I felt it more. I'm so tired. Well, yeah, we do hear a lot of repeated tales, don't we? Right? Like the getting better. It's getting better all the time. And John says, couldn't get much worse. Tony Carey smelled the Hendrix story the second his <laughs> name was invoked. She goes, oh, he's going to talk about Hendrix and Clapton tuning the guitar. I'm like, yep. <laughs> and playing Sgt. Pepper the two days after it was released. Yeah. So we do we do get a lot. This might also be for like fourth generation fans, Z's or whatever, that are just getting into the Beatles now, perhaps. 
Um, so they, and that's fair. That's the the fair. best documentaries, Tony, should be for them and for us. Yeah. Because the one thing, and, and I think Beatle fans of, of a certain age, that's my new dramedy on NBC following <laughs> the days and nights of Molly Dodd. <laughs> Not Molly Todd. Um, I feel like I don't want to be an aging Beatle fan, especially as a second gen Beatle fan, who looks down on younger people who didn't grow up with the complete Beatles, the episode we just did, or didn't grow up with a bootleg videotape copy of the original Let It Be. Like, they're diehards, too. Just because they're born in the 90s doesn't mean they're any less enthusiastic. Right. So if this series caters to them as much as me, I'm for it. I encourage that. Yeah. I like the bit where he said when him and John would get into an argument, he would call John Four Eyes, and then John would come back at him with pigeon chest. <laughs> and Paul admits that his chest wasn't as developed. <laughs> well, in that state, that then inspired Red Rose Speedway's single pigeon chest. Single pigeon through the railings, did she throw you out? If the Ruddles did a parody of that album, that would be one of the titles. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing we need. We have enough Beatles tribute bands. We need like parody tribute bands of wings and things like that <laughs> i'm a lot like <laughs> i tried me too Interspersed, you mentioned the pictures, but I, there's a few pictures I, I liked. I liked them. And it looked like in a hotel, most likely, because they're wearing like robes and a, John has a towel on his head. But there's two Hofner basses that they're playing like violins. That's fun. Yeah, that's a great shot. I hadn't seen that one. It was cool earlier, too. Like they show Paul when he's real young with that full on Elvis pompadour. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Late in the uh, series, they show a colorized shot that his brother took that became the cover of uh, Chaos and Creation in the Backyard. Yeah, that's, that long that's lens shot with too. the elements in the foreground. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool shot. The elements mix in the foreground. You can tell <laughs> it's got three other negatives. And then... The elephant's memory mix. <laughs> <laughs> Rick Rubin pushing the saxophone up as loud as it can go. That's, just your sax. That's elephant's memory. <laughs> and grooving with it. And locking <laughs> eyes with Paul and just grooving. Listen to that sax, huh, Paul? Yeah, yeah. Talking about learning new chords, we've heard all that. I'd never heard Hesse's before. I'd never heard about the jazz guitar player Jim Gretty, who taught them that augmented chord that Paul played a couple times in episode one. Yeah. Did he call it F demented at one point? I don't know if I misheard that, but I liked that. Me. We're pretty quickly into Michelle. This is another story we've heard many, many times about Paul and the Black Turtleneck trying to impress yeah. uh, girls by singing this kind of French song. 
the Edith Piaf stuff, there's also a lot of other ins- the stuff on Fela in a later episode. Yeah. Um, there's a ton of educational, well-presented stuff. Like, I know who Edith Piaf is. I know I've seen her and heard her, but in this light, in this context, was illuminating for me musically. This was one of my favorite parts. The other thing was, because I had this Frenchy thing in my mind, Edith Piaf did a record, Milord. I was kind of going off the back of that, Milord, Michel. Yeah, I like when they show us the influences and all the stuff where it came from. Yeah, we get a bunch of that stuff. Well, yeah, and they get into the the Everly Brothers and the Beach Boys and where they were, they got their inspiration for harmony. And uh, it's cool to see Paul at the electric piano working out those harmonies. And also the cool footage of Brian Wilson working with, that's Hal Blaine on drums from the, the famous Wrecking Crew. It's cool to see oh, him. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, that was Hal Blaine because he would actually kind of be the band leader at the sessions. He was the one that's always counting in and et cetera. When you listen to those, uh, you know, all the pet sounds, take 17, et cetera. That's how Blaine you always hear on there. It's cool. Were there any inspirations like other bands that you would listen to for harmonies besides the Everly Brothers? Beach Boys, I think, was a big influence on the harmony. There was a little intercontinental rivalry, mainly Brian, his writing. It's great seeing Good Vibrations kind of tied into that. Still such a great sound. The first song we really hear on the mixing board is Michelle, and that got me thinking, I think Rubber Soul and Help are the two albums I can't wait for the anniversary remixes of. I think they both need it the most. I know both were remixed by George Martin for CD when they came out in 87, but with modern technology, I think his son and that team could mix these so much, so much better than they've ever been. And I all, even though it's a story that's been told many times, Tony, I love the beach boys rivalry, the whole notion that rubber soul inspired pet sounds and pet sounds ultimately inspired pepper. In the meantime, revolvers there too. Right. right. That competition is so wonderful. And Paul McCartney is, will still say that his favorite song of all time is God only knows from Pet Sounds. So it's a friendly rivalry that's born out of a ton of love too. Yeah. I just streamed a McCartney record and when it was over, the next song that the, it was Spotify or whatever, decided to play was God Only Knows. Yeah. Off of a McCartney record. So yeah, even the bots know. (laughs) Well, it says a lot about the smart bots that are coming out of it with like Kokomo. (laughs) Oh, Beatles, Beach Boys. <laughs> There's one part in that song I like. I don't like the dumb part, but we may have gone it's over that. It's all the dumb part. We've never gone over this. <laughs> it's all dumb. <laughs> no, there's the sweet part where it's like, everybody knows. Yeah. About <laughs> a place called Coco Bell. <laughs> that part. And that gets ruined. Aruba, Jamaica, oh, 
I want to take it too. Dude, hey, it must be a great song. John Stamos is playing drums. What the? When did that become a litmus test for good music? <laughs> Bermuda, Bahama. Come on, baby. That is kind of nice, Tony. That's the best part. Yeah, all we it's need all right, is that. Not bad. <laughs> That's there. Maybe I'm amazed. That was really good. Thank you for singing along, everybody on Kokomo. And now we'd like to introduce some new friends to help us sing our next song. They are the Tanner Family. Okay, getting <laughs> getting back to Paul. So we're into Sergeant Pepper, and uh, Rick Rubin's head nod has to become a, a GIF, right? <laughs> Yeah, it should be. Yeah, it probably is already at some point. That and then his uh, bare feet. <laughs> <laughs> totally, that and the bare feet. Uh, he, here's a historical thing. McCartney's always been futzy with Sergeant Pepper. I'm going to give you two possible inaccuracies. Help me out with this. Mm. Because I always thought forever, the st- I mean, maybe the salt and pepper thing's been told and I just don't know it. But I always heard the name was inspired not by Mal Evans saying pass the salt and pepper, but by coming back from that trip to California and every band had like the long, you know, yeah, major happies up and coming once upon a good, you know, all the all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So the salt and pepper thing didn't just feel new to me. It felt kind of contradictory to that. And also, I just have to mention, I'll never forget when Paul did Live 8 and opened with Sgt. Pepper with U2 as the backup band. They had a horn section. Ringo, by the way, was hurt that he wasn't invited to that. That's another mm-hmm. story. Paul, in an interview, said it's the first time I played it. No, he played it. In the 89-90 tour. Now he just does the reprise, but in 89, he did the full Sgt. Pepper and then segued into the, the reprise. And at Live Aid, he's like, it's my first time. And I remember being like, oh, my God, is there anybody who can call him out on this? I, I don't think he's <laughs> lying. I just think he forgot. Like, no, Paul, you did it. I saw you. <laughs> <laughs> And that, of course, was Andy White on drums that day instead of Ringo. (laughs) It was. Paul told Ringo how I wanted it to go. Ringo said, you do it. Paul said, I'm busy. Somebody get me Andy White. (laughs) And Alan White of Yes fame. (laughs) And and, uh, Plastic Ono Band. Or no, no, sorry. Imagine. And and then Instant Karma. I think you played drums on that too. Yes, Instant Karma. That's what I was thinking. I'm you need to A B his Instant Karma with Elephant's memory drummer Instant Karma, which is the worst <laughs> drumming on record. How in the world are you gonna see? Laughing at fools like me. Oh. <laughs> that that dude makes Pete Best look like Max Roach. <laughs> Have you ever heard the Shags TJ? <laughs> I'm fair. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> Yeah, they do the Sergeant Pepper. He tells the Hendrix story. We get to see Hendrix play it. Yeah, and then you hear the organ part for something isolated, which is great. I love hearing that organ part. When we were kids, I used to get on the bus, and the next stop, George would get on. We were going to the same school. It's called the Liverpool Institute High School for Boys, where there were a thousand boys. That was it, no girls. Anyway, on one of these journeys, there was a free seat next to me, and he sat down there, and we started talking. And we talked about what we loved, music and guitars. 
George was very into guitars. And there's some more great early pics of George. We start talking about George and how they used to hitchhike together and eat beans or whatever it was or pudding. He had a little like, camping stove that he brought so that they could hitchhike and eat pudding on the side of the road. They used to eat ambrosia pudding, so they invented Yacht Rock. <laughs> nice, yeah. And then that leads into him playing Thinking of Linking, which, you know, I remember reading about this song in those Playboy interviews and thinking like, oh, wow, there's this great song I've never heard. And now, you know, this is a couple times now he's trying to sell us this song. There's a reason they didn't, they didn't even give this one away, let alone record it. So we kind of wrote this. I've been thinking of linking my love with you Thinking of linking our love so true Thinking of linking can only be done by two Fantastic. But we get to hear that and he sings it at, at Rick. It's cute. It's a cute moment. Good for you. Good for you, Paul. That would be one where I'm like, okay, I'd rather hear him dissect something from Ram than play Thinking of Linking. Or have him play I've Just Seen a Face, even, which I know he's done that a million times in his solo career, but I would have preferred to have seen that. But sure, hey, man. Well, I didn't just wait it. for it. When Paul goes back on the road again, I guarantee you Thinking of Linking will be added to his set list. You know, he did I Lost My Little Girl for a little while. Like, he likes to throw in those oddbally ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. All-encompassing. I mean, good for him. He can. He's a loud man, I guess, right? Now, I thought it was interesting that they get into some George material and then later some John material, too. But yeah, the While My Guitar Gently Weeps at the console, breaking it down. I mean, it's definitely focused on the bass part, you know, which is doubled with a guitar. That's what gives it that extremely meaty sound. I don't know how I've never heard a bass sound like that before. It's very unusual. It's almost like two songs are happening simultaneously. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like two whole, yeah. either one of them great, yeah. and then right on top of each other. Fast. This is another, it's another song here. Yeah. Still my guitar Fascinating. Yeah. No, it's just amazing. That's interesting you bring that up. I was not conscious of that until yeah. we listened to it yeah. now. I hear that tone on it. It's like, wow. So it's great. I love hearing it. I just find it interesting because if I recall, this was a song that at the time of recording, I don't think the other guys, with the possible exception of Ringo, weren't that into. You know, they had to kind of drag them into the studio to do this song. And yet, you're right, and yet, to that point, Paul's bass is so inventive, and you always knew it was, but to hear it isolated like this is really cool. I, I Oh, completely. Yeah, I agree. It's a great song. It's great to hear him. Uh, it's great to hear the bass parts, you know, spotlit, yeah. I guess, if that's a word. 
Well, and Paul's very complimentary of George here. This is where he says George became one of the greats from the kid on the bus. He became a very wise man. Uh, Paul says it was very generous of George to give Eric the solo. He could have had it for himself. And I'm like, yeah, he did that with Patty as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we could get into that whole soap opera with Ron Wood's wife and Rod Stewart's girlfriend and Maureen Starkey and all it's, that. It's like but, I always say, Hari Krishna, fuck all your friends' wives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, free love, man. Right, free love. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was. it's also the way the, the episode kind of ends. Rick Rubin says, I've never heard a bass sound like that. It's almost like two songs happening simultaneously. So I think Paul critics will say, Okay, this begins revisionist Paul history, where now while my guitar gently weeps becomes about Paul. But I don't agree with that. Paul McCartney's part of the Beatles. It's clearly a George song. George gets his deference. Clapton gets his deference. And then Rick Rubin rightfully points out how astonishing Paul McCartney's bass is in this tune. And to your point, Paul could have mentioned that he did the piano part as well. And maybe he did and it's on the cutting room floor, but that opening piano thing that's paul he came up with that just like george came up with and i love her which that's episode two i think or whichever episode it is but he did that too it's another weird paul moment at the concert for george harrison when they do while my guitar gently weeps paul jumps on the piano for it and he seems almost bored or lost to the moment during the number. It's very strange. Yeah. But Paul, you see him do the piano part, and then he just almost kind of disappears at the piano. It was a restrained performance. We'll get into the concert for George at some point, because it's such a lovely, you know, Ringo comes. He goes, I lo- uh, George loved me, and I love George. You know, there's a lot, a lot of emotion going on that night. Sure. But Paul's yeah. performance was really restrained, and hearing him do those George songs, All Things Must Pass, For You Blue, then replicating his piano on this, I thought was interesting. Yeah. With Clapton, and Ringo on drums. That was a neat moment. It brought three of the five people who played in the song together. Yeah. And then, you know, Ron Wood's wife came out there and everyone made out and it turned into a key party. And uh, that was great. <laughs> and and Peter Jackson had them all jumping in the air over a freeze frame credits. Freeze frame! Freeze frame! <laughs> America's best piano band, the Jay Giles Band. <laughs> The Jay Giles Martin Band. (laughs) (laughs) Pepperland. Uh, Return to Pepperland. Um, So, yeah, and uh, one more thing on on this episode, Tony. When Rick Rubin says, uh, he makes such an astute point. Like, there are a few things Rick Rubin says that are obvious, but a few that are beautifully so. He says... When the Beatles play reggae music, it doesn't sound like reggae music. It sounds like the Beatles. It becomes something new. And I thought he was referring to the mono something new with the longer <laughs> I'll cry instead edit. I'm like, maybe it's a Rick Rubin a deep cut for you fans of the, the Capital Rainbow label. Um, but uh, it's so true, right? I mean, it's, it's what makes the Beatles unlike any other band is they didn't appropriate other music. They took other influences and blended it into something that's 
only Beatles music. It's it's absurd. And the fact that they did it with such frequency and consistency is the greatest part of the story. They kept doing it over and over again. It's it's wild and getting better and better because it, could, yeah, it couldn't one. get much worse. Mm-mm, no, that's <laughs> and that's the John Paul dynamic. <laughs> Although in the Peter Jackson film, they both wrote every line. <laughs> Simultaneously. It's easy to do because John was right-handed and Paul was left-handed. They just, their pen, their pens matched and they went. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then episode one closes with Obladi Oblada said ska song. Influenced song, I should say. I never I ever really thought of that song as a ska song. I think of it like you just said as a Beatles song. I think of it as a ski ball song. You ever play ski ball <laughs> to that one? Oh yeah, I still have some tickets to turn in. I want to. I want to get those uh, uh, hand snap. Those uh, <laughs> fuck me. <laughs> oh yeah, those hand snap fuck me. Hand snap fuck me. Oh, let me try that again. <laughs> oh yeah, I want to get that giant uh, inflatable. Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I can't think of what they used to have at stupid Chuck E. Cheese or Showbiz or whatever. No, I still got some stuff I want to get from that the, the, the kid behind the counter. What do you want to get from that kid behind the counter, Tony? So, Tony, there is so much material to cover on the six-parter. We're going to call this a two-part episode. And uh, next week, we'll be back, and we'll do episodes two through six. But before we go for today, a quick thank you to our producer, um, Line. Fuck, Line. Casey Baker. Oh, yeah, Casey. (laughs) Great. Are we done? Can we go? I think there's a little more, TJ. He want right. what did he want to what's the script say? Fucking script emailing now, Casey. It's like Casey Bay. We want to thank our producer, Casey Baker. All bow to the greatest podcast producer, not only in the United States, but the world all around. Wow. Look at my crease bulge. What? <laughs> ding dong ding dong. Untitled Beatles Podcast. Like and subscribe. Crease bulge. <laughs> Crease bulge. I, yeah, I want to say that was, wasn't that the, uh, that was the original title for Grease 2, right? <laughs> I think in some European markets, that's what they titled it.